I will write a book of stories of girls becoming goddesses and goddesses becoming girls. They are all a part of me. Let's go! Hello and welcome to another episode of Are You There Pod. It's me, Jessica. It's me, Josh. And Josh, what do we do on this podcast? We review the 100 Coolest Buzz Magazines, 1995's 100 Coolest People in L.A. And we review them one by one. And mm-hmm. and so who's the first one that we're reviewing? Uh, why, of course, it's Francesca Leah Block. Mm-hmm. And what book are we talking about tonight? Girl Goddess Number 9. That's right. Girl Goddess number nine. Actually, can you hold on for one second? I forgot something. Yeah. Okay. Um, Now, I didn't read Girl Goddess one through eight. Will I be lost? Yeah, this is a Leonard part six situation that we have. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's 50-50. I didn't see Leonard part six either. So I'm just, (laughs) I'm really fucking lost. Did you see Ghost Dad? Did you see any of the uh, 80s uh, Bill Cosby films? I have, I've seen Ghost Dad, weirdly enough, yes. Did he get another one? Was it just those two? And there then probably more. Jessica just brought it. Well, she'll tell you. She just brought in a prop. Well, Do you have Buzz Magazine? No. I, is that a real magazine? Uh, it's probably like an LA uh, based magazine, is my Yeah, guess, this would right? be like being Four One Seven Magazine's uh... top thirty under thirty or something. Yeah, yeah. It's top forty under forty. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I have That's the wrong Forbes. name. Um, no, I grabbed a spin magazine, but we'll get into it. So yeah, this uh, this episode we're reading Girl Goddess Number Nine by Francesca and Leah Block, and I picked it um, because it is Women's History Month, and I wanted to read something that I thought was actually really good and written by a woman um, instead of what we normally read, which something bad written by a woman. No, something, <laughs> something bad, written, bad by written by Arl Stein. By Stein. No. <laughs> no. Okay, get well. it right, Blake. Or something something bad. Written by a man pretending that he is a dead woman, V.C. Andrews. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Although we did read at least, you know, a couple books that were actually written by V.C. Andrews. So. Bad books by a living lady. <laughs> so I chose this book because um, I remember exactly how I heard of it. It was from um, an issue of Spin from November of 1997. Hold I, it up to the podcast. I was a subscriber. And it's this issue. Okay. It's called... The Girl Issue, starring Fiona Apple. And, um, of course, the <laughs> For the some headline... reason, Tom Cruise... Or the Red Hot Chili Peppers are still on the cover. Yeah, I don't understand that either. Uh, but, yeah. Can I read, Josh, what it says at the top? Okay. It says, the top, the very top line says, Ska Punk Hell, <laughs> plus Portishead, plus Everclear, plus Crystal Method. So Man, the '90s! What a ride! Not, it doesn't what a get ride. more '90s than that. Peak are these 90s. are these all focused on women? It's no. I mean, it's, it's the Everclear the article in Angle, or is there just like one Absolutely cover story not. about just, ladies? Just the main spread, and it's it's there's um, issues inside that are kind of like precursor BuzzFeed listicles. Um, like for example, there's like essential wo- moments in girl history, right? So, like, they talk about, like, the Gwen Stefani look or Kurt Cobain 
and what he meant to girls. Britney and Spears Cobain, and Madonna kissing at the VMAs. I guess that, that was would be too, later. Too no, early. Too late. <laughs> but the one for Kurt is kind of funny. They just have a picture of him with Frances Bean and written on her little baby belly. It says diet girl, like G-R-R-L. It's interesting. Why but no words. Why just diet? He, did you know this about Kurt Cobain? He's a girl, a girl dad. I did know that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I picked this book because they have a section in here called Essential Books. And um, it's just like a photograph of like one shelf, like a shelfie. And um, it just says, see these books, read them, love them, make ostentatious references to them in interviews with Chick Factor and Rock Girl. But take away this one lesson. There's no single writer out there who gets the whole girl culture gestalt who can pack all the crazy complexity and wonder that is girl in between two mere covers, except perhaps Kate Moss. She knows why the caged bird sings. I don't understand that. That was not a Kate Moss quote. I thought it was going to say, except Meg Cabot. <laughs> um, so some of the titles on here are uh, Susan Faludi's Backlash, which I did read um, when I saw this. There's a Nan Golden book, The Golden Years, which is a collection of photography. Um, there's Rock She Wrote, uh, Forever Barbie by M.G. Lord, which I also read. There's oh. The Claiming of Sleeping Beauty, which is one of Anne Rice's um, erotica books, I think. There's Eight Ball Chicks, which is about women in gangs, reviving Ophelia, uh, Go Ask Alice. That's also a book that I okay. read. The first book list. we did. Uh, now, can you, now can you read the Scott article? Okay, yeah, hold on. <laughs> yeah, I'll read that one. Um, the Bell Jar, just really good girl classics, I guess. And of course, one of them on here is Girl Goddess Number 9 by Francesca Leah Block. So, got a lot of uh, books that I read from this thing. I did that, actually, and I did also own one of the books they have here that I already had was the only astrology book you'll ever need. And I already owned that book. So, haha, spin. This, this, was, this was your version of the Raging Against the Machine insert. Yeah, we already talked about that. Yeah. yeah, totally. So I wanted to pull a book from this, this picture and I chose Girl Goddess number nine. And I hadn't read it in years i think i reread it again in the aughts and i still really liked it and then i was wondering if it would hold up now and i think it does i mean maybe you're not a fan of francesca's style of writing maybe but i think for its time because it was written in 19 well published in what 96 yeah um, it touches upon like uh teenage gay kids uh it touches upon like um transgender people uh it touches upon the AIDS epidemic. Um, I liked it better when it was called Rent. I don't know. I'll cut that out. <laughs> it's unfair that he gets to cut all his bad jokes. <laughs> I know, and I have to leave all my fumbles in. Sometimes I leave my embarrassments in. Yeah, you don't want to cut your entire I mean, self out of the podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, and and like speaking of that, sometimes I leave in you guys bullying me. So <laughs> I, I try to be fair. That's true. I mean, you do leave us in being horrible people to yeah, you. So, so the world knows. Yeah. Um, but um, the world is watching. Do you think it holds up? Well, I guess we should probably talk here's, about. Here's what I'll say. I knew okay. I was in trouble when I went on to rate this. I saw you gave it five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Be very careful of what you say. Tread <laughs> lightly, Joshua. It was just one of those. Oh no, she liked this. Mm-hmm. I do, and some of it could also just be. Um, like when I was reading it, I was instantly just transported to like that era, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 
I think maybe when I read it, I was not at a particularly uh, sad or depressed state as a teen because that was kind of uh, in and out of that. So I think maybe when I read this book, it was kind of like a high period. Um, so I think I associate it with like just laying in bed and reading this book and listening to like, OK, computer while I'm reading it, you know, like just these nice, comforting uh, teenage 90s memories coming in. So. So I'm not sure if it's nostalgia that really makes me still love it so much or but uh, I'm going to say that I just love it. It's a great book. So are we going to talk about drinks? <laughs> That's what I was wondering. <laughs> so I did buy a thing drink tonight, which is very rare. Usually I just make like a, a whiskey Coke because I'm We've lazy. been lazy about theme drinks for a long time. In our defense, there has been a pandemic. And, uh, but but they finally they finally let you out to go uh, mix together a drink. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Joe Biden said it was <laughs> it was okay to go to the store. Yeah. So for some reason, I've never had mead, right? But whenever I read books and mead is mentioned, it's always like Neil Gaiman-y type books, right? Like. Yeah, it's guys. It's fantasy. Yeah, yeah it's, exactly. It's like like they've they've got goblets and they're crushing them against each other, and a lot of the meat is spilling mm-hmm. out all over the place. Yeah, and they're holding like um I don't know like gigantic turkey legs and just biting into them. Yeah, and they're about to go to war with the orcs. And yeah, stuff yeah. Like that. So I because Francesca Leah Black likes to include uh like elvish like fantastical elements in her fiction. Like there's elves and fairies and. Things and of mead. That nature. <laughs> I automatically was like, theme drink, mead. And I've never had mead before. Um, I bought Chaucer's mead because, you know, literature. You no. Know. <laughs> Canterbury. And uh, it's very fucking sweet. It is. I think it's I think it's not bad. Um, is this supposed to be strong? Um, it varies. This one is 10.5% alcohol. It doesn't taste like 10.5% at all it, it Blake kinda, is just gonna it's, I'm gonna be trashed <laughs> it just tastes like a sugar or honey drink mm-hmm. pretty much is this how like do you the think same? That, how do you it's think they got wine. them to go to war with the orcs they had to get them uh, drunk Ooh. on mead that's what I want to know is this the same as like medieval time mead do you think or is this just like I mean I'm guessing because this is called Chaucer's mead that it's a Chaucer family recipe that okay. has been passed down uh, from generations for hundreds of years, it told through uh, a oral oral passed down stories. <laughs> oral passed down. It's stories. in the cuckold's tale. Is there a cuckold's tale? Yeah, I, oh, kind of. <laughs> there, there is. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if it's called the cuckold's it's tale. Not Was called it? the cuckold's tale? No. Okay. <laughs> that would be amazing. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm going to go see if the cuckoldstale.com is available real quick. <laughs> Are you going to spell it T-A-L-E yeah. or T-A-I-L? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. You got it. If yeah. that's taken, just change it to ye old cuckold tale. Ah, that's way, <laughs> way hotter. Yeah. Spell it like old English-y. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm double fisting mead and my regular whiskey Coke. <laughs> so we'll see. This is going to be a fun night here. At the pod. Josh, do you have any theme treats or drinks? Uh, I had cookies, but I ate them. You always have cookies that you ate right well, before. Well, I've got we more cookies, but I don't want to go get them. Okay. Uh, what do they call them in Freaks and Geeks? Magic cookies? <laughs> Is that what they say? <laughs> Some of those funny cookies. Okay. Well, let's get going. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about Francesca Leah Block herself. Uh, she was born in 62, and she lives the kind of life that you would expect for someone who writes 
these stories. A, she a is, Gen Xer that writes these stories. <laughs> yeah. She is the daughter of a painter and a poet. So I'm imagining just like <laughs> just like this free artsy household, right? I mean, wouldn't you just like her self esteem is way too high, in other words. Much like Tonk Bud or Chuck Bud. In one of or a character in one of her stories is yeah. who Josh is referring to. Yeah. Um she a character re- named Tuck Bud. <laughs> There are also characters named like Tweety Sweet Pea and Peachy Pie. So, you know, that's about the time I punched out (laughs) the very first story. Story one, by the way. (laughs) No, uh, there's a grand tradition of of, uh, female writers liking strange names for their characters. I'm thinking S.E. Hinton, you know, Soda Pop, Pody Boy and Daryl. How can you forget? Precious. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Hold on. I'm thinking. (laughs) Uh, Good grief. Um, who's that Beezus kid? Ramona? F- super Beezus? Fudge? Be- yeah, but, yeah, Super Fudge. That's, that's a crazy name. Hatchet? What kind of name? Oh, that's a, he's a guy. Yeah, that's a dude. Okay, so anyway, she's written over 25 uh, young adult books, including the Wheatsey Bat series. Um, Wheatsey Bat series, she started writing while she was in college. She went to Berkeley, and those books were later collected in a... Um, collection called dangerous angels and those um that collection was included on the following list it's time magazine's 100 best young adult books of all time npr's 100 best ever teen novels and Booklist's 50 best young adult novels of all time and the new york times called it transcendent she is still writing and teaching she also offers workshops online and she has written for nylon and spin magazine that's about all I could find. <laughs> I mean, she's still out there writing and publishing. She's written um, a book called Pretty Dead, which is her vampire novel. Um, she wrote a dating guide called Wood Nymph Seek Centaur, a mythological dating guide. It's, which... a, it's a PUA thing for young adult ladies. <laughs> for young adult ladies who love Tori Amos and fairies. Yeah, so... how to neg, neg uh, guys into liking you. <laughs> um, she wrote a book called Zine Scene, the do-it-yourself guide to zines with Hilary Carlip. Um, and she has written Erotica. There's a book called Nymph. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of her more recent books written in 2013 was called Love in the Time of Global Warming, and it won the 2013 American Library Association Rainbow Award. So um, still out there publishing, still active in writing communities. So she has a Twitter account, but it doesn't have a blue check, so I hope it's really her. Not <laughs> sure. How do you get that blue what, check? What if, what if it's just like the one other super fan of this book, and they have a... Uh... they've duped everyone into thinking it's really her so uh what i was thinking that we would do because this is a collection of nine short stories and we've never talked about short stories before um was that we would talk about the titular story girl goddess number nine because i mean it's the title story you gotta talk about it and then Josh and I would each pick two stories that we liked a lot. And I could kind of maybe just skim through the other ones because I don't really want to skip over anything um, too much. But because I do like all these stories and it was hard for me to choose. Uh, I don't think it was hard for Josh, but we both fought over who got. The I know it was very hard. <laughs> I tried to think, can I remember any of these? Yeah, I think that's some of the criticism that we'll talk about. Um, people talked about how the stories all kind of blend together and none of them stand out and. Um, how she kind of sacrifices maybe plot development 
instead focusing on atmosphere building in her stories, um, which I can see like the argument that, but I like that atmosphere. So sue me. I think it's good. As you're reading it though, I got to ask you a question um, because these are mainly for the most part about like kids in LA. Did you, as you were reading it and maybe you didn't think the same way, but at the time that I read girl goddess number nine, I was really into bright Easton Ellis. Oh yeah. No, these are completely like Ellis stories. Well, I was thinking like the informers, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You did think the same way. Like, I didn't yeah, think her yeah. writing, kind of, yeah. as a little bit. Okay. I was just wondering if I not, was forcing that or if you no, got the same kind of vibe. Not quite as okay. stripped down in the language as him, but... But, like, made appropriate for young adults somehow? I mean, like not, the, this, this would be, like, like Teen Pulse kind of stuff now. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it, it's like, contemporary young adult stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think... Because we've been reading like a lot of R.L. Stein and stuff like that, to me, it was kind of surprising to read this and the topics that she touched upon just because those books have nothing to do yeah. with like reality. Right. And this is kind of like reality through the filter of like hip L.A. kids who sometimes talk about fairies and mermaids. Like it's I'm trying to think of how to describe it. But I mean, she does touch upon uh, things other than like, I mean, like real teen concerns and fears, not like. I mean, albeit through like a, her own like lens, but like her own style, right? Like her own kind of like, I don't want to say rose colored glasses, but just has this like filtered reality. And um, it's so different from like R.L. Stein and, and, and Richie Tankersley's Tankersley Cusick, where it's just, you know, these insane horror stories. <laughs> yeah. Where, yeah. Blake, can't you tell these are going to be a blast to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Just make fun of me and how stupid and silly I was as a teenage girl. That's all. You can do that. I, I don't know. I don't know that because I wasn't there. You'll have to you'll have to provide all the details there. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk about, the, um, I guess, do you want to talk about Girl Goddess number nine first, Josh? Yeah, sure. That's the only one I can, <laughs> that I remember. Well, that well. one stands out the most because yeah. it's not written in a normal story form. It's actually... A zine. It's a zine. An issue, <laughs> an issue was, of a zine. A, a, I was going to say a very cringy zine, but a zine. Yes, the, so a normal <laughs> well, zine. I don't want to be uh, like, redundant. Like, it's a zine written by like 14-year-old girls. No, yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the premise is that their, their zine has like a cult following and people have been clamoring to learn a little bit about the history of the zine and why it was started. So they share a little bit of the history of the zine and then they reprint an interview that they did with their favorite rock star. This is like every girl's fantasy. This is right here. You're a 14 year old girl. You and your best friend make a zine. It somehow gets in the hands of your favorite rock star. He loves it and invites you to his mansion for you to interview him. A rock star invites teenage girls to his mansion. I don't buy it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but this is literally like every little girl's, not every little girl. That sounds really gross the way I just said that. But literally if like, I don't know, I wrote a zine about Beck or, okay, we'll say Gavin Rostell in eighth grade and he got a hold of it and thought it was brilliant and invited me mm -hmm, to his house, mm -hmm. I would just die. We need more parental supervision up in here. I, <laughs> I'm not liking this. There's you, you, would go, you would go to his house and ask him exactly four questions and no follow-up questions to his answers. <laughs> uh, and Gavin would be high as hell the whole and time. They would, and you, right, and your questions would be things like, 
do you do drugs? (laughs) As he tokes on joint, no. No. (laughs) No, I don't do drugs. That's my impression. That's pretty... No, he doesn't sound like that, but... um, so the scene is written by two girls, Emily and Anna, who go by the names Lady Ivory and Alabaster Duchess, which are references to their favorite rock star, Nick Agate. Am I saying that right? Agate? Uh, A-G-A-T-E. Yeah. Agate. Yeah. Okay. Agate? I don't like the way that sounds. Yeah, I'm going to say right Agate. There. So um, I want to talk about, at the beginning, they have a who we are section where they introduce themselves. <laughs> So they list, it's like their little list of their favorite things. It's like their, it would be like their MySpace, right? Like their fave uh, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fave music, Bowie, PJ Harvey, Nirvana, Hole, Sonic Youth, Patti Smith, and of course, Edith Piaf, because girls love Edith Piaf. Um, one of the girls says her least favorite things are people who eat meat, people who make fat jokes, and people who are mean. And she is um, a girl who is, I guess, larger and is made fun of. She talks about that in here, right? Yeah. So anyway, did you you skipped over uh, Lady Ivory's least fave thing, which uh, is racism and prejudice? Yes. <laughs> My least faves. <laughs> I hate them. Oh, what about um, Alabaster Duchess's favorite movies? She loves Fantasia. Fantasia, sorry. Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Nosferatu, An Angel at My Table, oh, Wings <laughs> of Desire, and. Romper stopper. Romper stopper, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These all go together. What's that? Romper, Romper stopper. St- it's a Russell Crowe. It's, uh, it's an Australian movie about Nazi skinheads. Mm-hmm. Oh. I think it might have been Russell Crowe's either break, at least his breakout role or his first role. I'm not really yeah, it was Yeah, it was how he got noticed in the United States. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, I've already kind of said like their first issue somehow gets in the hands of their favorite rock star, um, Nick Nick Agate, basically it's because they wrote a review of a book by an author and she uh, sent him a letter and asked to get another copy to send it to a friend at Off Record Magazine who knows Nick. And so that's how he gets it. So Nick is currently on tour and the girls want to go see him, but their parents will not give them money for tickets to the show. So the girls try to win them off the radio. I mean, that's that's what you do when you don't have money for tickets. Um they are unsuccessful. They have a very bad day. And when they get home from school, uh, they have a letter from Cliff Shark, who represents Nick, um, manager or lawyer or something, and says that Nick was very impressed by their writing and wants to meet them and gave them tickets to the show at the amphitheater. So one thing that Francesca does is she includes um, very good descriptions of outfits. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, these are outfits that I could see girls actually wearing, maybe. So the girls wear identical outfits to the concert. They both wore antique white satin lingerie, steel-toed combat boots, and wreaths of white roses in our hair, which we had bleached white for the occasion. So they went all out for uh, this concert. Sounds very white. Did you guys ever get dressed up for concerts? I have a question because I do remember like whenever I was a teenager, and I still do this when I'm at concerts like or when I'm going, I'm like, I got to wear my cool outfit. T-shirts and pants. Mm Mm-hmm. And some New Balance. That's pretty much what I wore to every concert from like age 16 to New Balance? 30. <laughs> New Balance or whatever the hell I was wearing at the time. Josh, did you Asics? have cool concert fits? You were a punk, so of surely course. you were dressed up. Okay. Despite what we claimed and what uh, uh, Jorge from the Casualty said, it is fucking fashioned. So we would spend 
hours before every concert, like doing our hair. We were late to so many shows and missed so many bands that we were actually going for because oh, our friend Steve was working on his mohawk. And <laughs> you had a very different experience from me. <laughs> yeah, I remember one year my friend and I went to go see Offspring, and it was on Halloween night here at the Shrine Mosque. And we got decked out in like black velvet dresses. I remember this so clearly. This being the pretty fly from a white guy era. <laughs> nope, this was uh, Ixnay on the Ombre era. Okay. Hoping Dexter yeah. Holland would see you in the crowd. I was, <laughs> well, sure, why not? Uh, what What is that prankster song? Original prankster? Original prankster. I'm AKA picturing you going now, getting all dressed up for... <laughs> I'm guessing he's playing at the fair. Yeah, that's probably what they're doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. They might be now. I have no idea. Isn't he like a a brain genius who has like a in, like a PhD in something? Or is that I mean, they bad should religion take, guy? I mean, he does. Uh, I think Noodles went to like an Ivy League school or something. Mm. But... Uh, no, that's the bad religion guy. And probably Rivers Cuomo, too. I don't know what he did. Um, uh, so anyway, he, should I read he the He got a creative writing degree so he could uh, oh. use it to write about uh, underage girls. <laughs> well. Yeah, I mean, that tracks. Okay. So should I read the description of the concert, which was insane and totally impossible oh, to yeah. ever pull off? But I want to read it. It's kind of long, but this concert is nuts. Um, the concert was awe weaving and mind unraveling. It is really hard to describe. There were jugglers, panthers, acrobats, what? naked children with wings. They went to a circus. Dwarves, <laughs> a white horse, swine, deer, owls, bats, dancing trees, fireworks, waterfalls, windstorms, 12 foot tall flowers growing out of the stage. And of course, best of all, Nick, Ag Nick Agate. He came dancing out on stilts wearing a devil mask. He huddled at the foot of the stage and whispered and wept. He pretended to do it with this ghost type thing. He's oh, they were at an of Montreal show. <laughs> he, stripped off <laughs> he stripped off his clothes and dove into a pit of fire. He sang Prince of Air, Consume Me, Hide the Secret, Cosmic Snake, Lady Ivory, Alabaster, and more. At the end of all of this, his limbs started coming off. It looked so real that we couldn't believe it was a mannequin that was being dismembered. Even when the real Nick Agate came on stage and took off his mask, we almost fainted in each other's arms, hallucinating that it was Nick Agate who held us while we closed our eyes. This is weird. So the 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 post divorce Kanye tour sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only one who could pull that off now, right? <laughs> like <laughs> I was thinking, like what rock band would have that much money? No, oh no, rock band. I can see like Katy Perry put it. Well, not maybe not the uh, dismembering uh, her. <laughs> The Flaming Lips, like I said, of Montreal did a similar thing. Did um, they do it with a ghost That, that is thing? absolutely something that that band okay. would do using puppets and mannequins, yes. And costumes galore. So anyway, the girls go to, um, basically that's how they, they end the zine with their republished interview with Nick Agate. And he lives in a mansion that I wrote that was as bonkers as his stage show. And throughout the interview, instead of referring to him by his name, whenever he answers a question, they have different names for him that I thought was funny. So goateed angel. I'm trying to picture what this guy looks like. Right. I'm trying to figure out what kind of music he is. I was thinking and I. OK, I was thinking he is. <laughs> OK, because of all the theatrics and maybe some of the names of the songs. 
Does he just not I sound was, cool? I was thinking he has like a Manson-y vibe, but light instead of dark, right? But he has a touch of the darkness because of the Carmen. dismembering? Carmen. <laughs> but I can't picture the sound. Like, I can picture, like... Because at first it just looks like he's like a Bieber-type pop star when he comes, like, dancing out. He does not seem, like, cool in the way that uh, the rest of their interests are pretty cool. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe he's just a hot dude who... I think, yeah, his hotness is doing all the work here. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think. He's, like, the male equivalent of... I'm just going to say... Gaga. Maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. But rockin', yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not that she's not rockin', that's not what I meant. But anyway. Um, so throughout the interview, they call him things like Goateed Angel, He of the Piercing Starfire Blue Eyes, Wild Demon Boy, Moon Jim Morrison. Yeah, I can see that. Violent Fowler, the Priest of Our Heart Temple. Um, while they're there, they meet his muse slash girlfriend, Celeste, and she asks if the girls are tasty, and I was very confused by this. <laughs> Did you write that down? <laughs> I didn't take notes on this, but uh, that that whole interaction was was. It was weird. I was not like, okay. Are, are they going to proposition these this teenage girls? This is definitely girls? a guy who gets mega canceled a few decades later. Absolutely. <laughs> like the rock star I compared him to? Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's that thing. Yeah. And um, anyway, so after they leave, uh, the girls just kind of sob because Celeste is just so beautiful and Nick is taken and they will never be anything like her and they want to be like her, like they want to become her basically. Um, and they realize that they want to touch her hair and skin and toenails more than they have ever wanted to touch the thin, hard, pale Greek statue body of Nick Agate. And they are crying because they are happy uh, because they have escaped and because Girl Goddess will never be the same. So that's the end of Girl Goddess number nine. Five stars. Great story. Loved it. <laughs> So, <laughs> do you know the story about uh, uh, what's his name Robert Pattinson and the fan who kept like stalking him when he was? I forget where he was at the time. He was filming something, I think. Was he and, filming the new Batman? No, this was this was in the Twilight era when people were obsessed with him. So this girl okay. would just like stand across the street of his hotel and just like beg him for a date or whatever. And so he went out on a date with her. And what? Then, this works? And well, and then he was just his like obnoxious self. Yeah, like he said, it, then she didn't want to go out with him again. Or <laughs> you know, like he was, uh, he said he just kept complaining about fame the whole time and like, uh, oh my God, was obnoxious. I mean, honestly, if, if that would never work for a woman though, because a man wouldn't care. Like, if Drew Barrymore went out with a stalker, like the stalker wouldn't care. They would just be thinking about going to bed with Drew Barrymore and they wouldn't be turned off if she talked about like if she acted annoying or anything at all. Am I right? I can be pretty turned off by annoyingness. Yeah. Then you why can are be, you with me? You can be if, if someone's really annoying. Yeah. Uh, it can, yeah, it can it can make you look at them different differently. So I, I get it. it. Um, it's a good defense mechanism. Also. Do you remember that movie where that guy stalked Drew Barrymore into a date? It was a documentary. I don't think I saw it. My date with Drew and the whole thing as he's trying to. It, it was in, in that period where the way to get a documentary like 
distributed basically is to have some dumb gimmick like supersize me. Yeah. Um, Did he get a date? Or what was the movie with Charlene Yee? Am I thinking of the right movie? Paper Town? Not Paper Town. Paper Heart? Paper Heart. Like her and Michael Sarah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Was it that era of documentary? No, no, no. This was like way before. Like this was like 2001 or something like that. Oh, God. Was Super Size Me that old? Super Size Me is 2002. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But this might have been whenever it was. The, The whole thing is that he's trying to get two people like for this person somehow to get a date with her because he thinks she's hot basically i have never seen this and it sounds really creepy it's awful yeah imagine imagine that uh premise now (laughs) yeah this guy is hard canceled i don't even know him he gets he's me too yeah yeah um does he get a date no he gets an interview with her though well hey remember the kid in election who uh uh, asked Reese Witherspoon out for coffee. She went with them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Well, yeah. she had to work with them. And also, she was like, you know, I'm yeah. like way too old for you. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm 24. I'm just I'm just playing a 16-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, the next story you want to talk about is actually the very first story in the book. Uh, it's called Tweety Sweet Pea. Um, and this is one of my favorite stories in the book, uh, mainly because it's kind of one of those those stories that are just a slice of life that are really about nothing, just kind of, you know, a day in the life of uh, a little girl is told from her perspective. She's like, what would you say? Four, Josh, three or four. Yeah. She's pretty young. She's, she's young. And she hasn't realized that the name Tweety Sweet Pea is annoying. And she man <laughs> not to be called it anymore. Excuse me. Her sister's name is Peachy Pie. So yeah. yeah exactly. I mean, these kids, I don't know. The real names are probably like Alice and, and Carol. Uh, And these are just cute little nicknames that their parents give them. So uh, in the story, you learn the origin of her nickname. And it's because her mom has her in a Tweety Bird swimsuit. And because she wants to eat frozen peas instead of oats for breakfast because they are sweet when they're frozen. And so she goes to the freezer and gets them out and spills the peas everywhere and is now dubbed forever Tweety Sweet Pea. Um, Throughout the day, it's just kind of like this picturesque day, right? One of those like summer days that are just kind of for whatever reason, even though maybe nothing really happens, you just remember forever. Um, they she plays Beauty and the Beast with her sister. They have a picnic at the park. Um, they are sunburned and the mom gives the girls a bath. And after the bath, the girls curl up and they watch TV before bed with their parents. And um I'll just kind of read actually the last part of the book because it's the whole the whole premise is her trying to work this in, I think, obviously. <laughs> but um, later, Tweety and Peachy Pie, smelling of no more tears and baby powder, curled up with their father on the sofa while he watched the evening news. A singer had shot himself in the head. He looked like Tweety's father. Tweety's mother gasped. Her father lifted his hand off Tweety's head and took her mother's hand. When Tweety was tucked in bed, she heard her mother say, tears in her voice, they had a good summer day. To these girls, every day is summer. Luckily, I wish they never had to figure out about winter, the father said softly, stroking Tweety's head. But Tweety Sweet Pea already knew that she would outgrow her Tweety Bird bathing suit, outgrow her bucket. She knew that winter would come, cold, gray, and white static like the TV screen between chattering color, droning death like the newscaster's voice. She held her summer day in her arms like a beast prince, warm, enchanted, and real as any sadness as she fell asleep. Oh. 
I don't know why, but I just love this story. And it's so dumb of me. Well, it's not dumb of me. I don't care what you guys think. I love it. So I'm just confused. Well, I didn't read it, so. What are <laughs> what you are confused you, about? Yeah. What, what do you need what? me to explain to you? What happened? <laughs> Basically, she is uh, writing a story from a young girl's perspective. And also, this young girl is kind of uh, one of those children who maybe is a little bit more aware of her of what is happening around her than people think right and um she basically it's it's kurt cobain's death and the parents are just finding out about it and And they're shocked and sad like everyone was when it happened and the dad is a bit of a try-hard grunge guy since he looks just like kurt okay (laughs) okay no we don't actually know that i'm just we don't know i mean she says that he looked similar to her daddy um but it's just one of those slice of life stories that it's, I always have loved. Where were you when type story? Kinda. Instead of JFK, it's a, it, this is our JFK, really. This is the Gen X's JFK. This is, yeah, it is. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. So. I think okay, just, I uh, the millennials 9-11. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm not saying no. that right. I'm saying our, 9/11 our JFK is, is 9-11. Yeah. 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 God, imagine the hardest thing in your young adulthood was a singer killing himself. But I don't know why the story has always resonated with me. I do have like just that last line where she's talking about grasping onto that summer day. It's just one of those perfect days that you just kind of remember forever, maybe, even though it's tinged with sadness and you just kind of hang on to it. I don't know. If we get it. You've had a good sense. day in your life. Some of us don't know this feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Brag much? You say she was four? I. That's my guess. I have no idea how old. I'm guessing th- she's like four, and her sister's like do six you, or seven. Do you kind of get? Do you get it if someone commits suicide? Do you understand and grasp it, or is that something you don't really grasp until later? Like, well, I don't think she really understands yeah. it, and I don't think she understands like his importance to. Yeah. Okay. Like her. Family. Right. Yeah. No, that's. I us. certainly wouldn't. No, right, four, totally. Right? I'd be so oblivious. But I think she also knows that, you know, bad things happen. This is also I mean, a four-year-old written by a four-year-old woman. No, the... She was probably in her early 30s when she wrote this, right? She was born in 62. Uh, this is a oh, couple yeah. years okay. after Kurt Cobain died. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, for all I know, she wrote it the night he died. I mean, I don't know when it was written, but it feels like something, like maybe it was a way for her to work out her own sadness over it, um, was to kind of approach it from maybe someone who doesn't understand it. So, I don't mm-hmm. know. But I think I just I just love that story and and the things it evokes in me for some reason. So can't really explain it. Don't know why. Just love it. Uh, Josh, did you have a story you wanted to talk about? Not really. Uh, we can talk about the prom one. The which one? The one where they go to prom. That is Pixie and Pony. I just wrote best friend romance. Yeah, that's, that's basically what it is. All right. Talk about it, John. No, I mean that's all I got. There's a guy named <laughs> There's a guy named Snack. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He's the only one that, that goes to prom without a mohawk. I wrote that down. He's a dork. <laughs> what? Um. So basically, these these three girls who are all friends are going to prom together, and one of the girls, Pixie, her dad is sick and he has cancer, and he's in the hospital. And so they go to prom together. Pixie goes with Leonard, and Pony goes with Romeo, and they are both punks with mohawks and creepers. But Minnie's date Snack was not a punk. Um, yeah. Even with a name like Snack, yeah. What was you, he then? You've seen that her main I motif. Think he was a surfer dude. Her main motif it, uh, is stupid names for characters uh, okay. with stupid names. Hey, maybe she was friends with like the Geldofs, like Pixie Geldof. You know, I don't know. If your name is Snack, you better be hot. 
That's all. I went to college with a guy named Saint. So don't be acting like these names are so unreal. Is that a real name? Yes, S-A-I-N-T. His name was Saint. So whatever. Um, They get kicked out of the prom for slam dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Like immediately. Slam dancing to inappropriate music to slam dance to. It's just like. What were they doing it to? I don't know. Eric Clapton's You Look Wonderful Tonight. What do they play at proms? That's absolutely what Josh and his friends would have done (laughs) at a prom. Start stirring up shit by uh, moshing. Josh would totally have Liberty Spikes. I did. Uh, Yeah. Would you wear creepers? No. What are those? Did you ever have creepers? You tell me what Were you a creepers kind of punk? Creepers creepers are those, they're like platform sneakers, right? So they're, or like platform, like Oxfords kind of. It depends. You can buy different types. They're all different kinds. But they have like a thick, flat platform uh, sole. We just wore boots, combat boots. Okay. Yeah. Well, these kids had like TUK creepers. So um, after they get kicked out of the prom for slam dancing, they go to Minnie's house to party. And Romeo leaves early because he has to go back to his girlfriend. Pony didn't know he had a girlfriend. Yeah. This Romeo guy, trash. Right. And this was after he popped off, right? Yeah, of course. Because <laughs> everyone's off like making out or uh, doing it with their yeah. uh, their date. And that's, so Pixie, that's why you take high school girls to prom. Is he's older, right? Yes, I think he's like in college. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, um, Pixie in the meantime is thinking about like her dad and about how they're graduating from high school soon and how they're all going to go like their separate ways. And she's thinking about how all her life she just wanted um, Pony to be her best friend because they've they've always like they were first nemesis, you know, they were first um, kind of enemies. And then they slowly became friends and they hang out all the time. But like she's never like proclaimed like her as her best friend. And so when Pony is really sad talking about Romeo, they're just kind of sitting there talking. And Pixie says, maybe it's because of my dad or tonight or because you are going away. But I keep wishing that we were best friends. I know it sounds stupid and like a kid, but I think about it a lot. Best friends, Pony says. We are sisters. Once again, grabs me right here. A little bit. Guys all think I'm the biggest dork, don't you? <laughs> like I said, I knew I was in trouble when I saw that fifth star. <laughs> Look, I will say that this is a very good portrayal of that kind of high school. Uh, yeah, no, maybe, it's good. It's all good. I mean, it's just, I think it's just so well uh, put. I just kind of love that she said we are sisters. Um, because I remember being just like in love with my friends. And I just always hoped that they were like, as in love with me as I was with them. Like just thinking they were the coolest or the smartest or whatever. And always kind of wanting that validation from them. So uh, I liked uh, that she got it. We should have invited some women on for this episode, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so that... Well, maybe you guys will learn something. I'm we learning did, things. We just like to do jokes about uh, bigots. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we're good for. <laughs> We don't feel things. Uh, I got to wonder why I didn't number these pages because now I'm all lost because we're skipping all over the place. Great. Okay. Um, I picked my other story. I don't know. Do you want to talk about Blue or Dragons in Manhattan at all? I feel like those are both. Ooh, dragons, dragons. (laughs) It's not. Is it it about real dragons? Yes, it is. Here we go. (laughs) Dive in. 
So this Dragon is the longest Hand, story, right? It is the longest story. It's like, like quite a almost bit. a novella. Like yeah. I feel like it's like fifty or sixty pages long. It's fifty-eight pages. Okay. Um. So it's about this girl who has kind of this amazing life with her really cool artistic parents in New York. She has two mothers, Izzy and Anastasia. Um, and they're just like these really cool art moms. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. How they, old is they... she? She's what? <sighs> She's starting junior high because she talks about. Okay. Yeah, that's book... right. Yeah. Her name is Tuck Bud, by the way. Tuck she talks Bud. about how <laughs> she, she was homeschooled until junior high age because she wanted to go to school and have like that social experience. And so they enrolled her in school. Um, so I would say like you're what, 12 or 13 when you start? Yeah, yeah. She, she's probably 12. So, so she was like the 10-year-old watching Angels in America. Yes. Yeah. And her parents are like very active in like the gay community. They uh, like have friends who are gay. Um, she talks about – well, they're gay. Well, And then she talks about like um, how, how their um, like gay male friends are just becoming sick. Like she's talking about the AIDS epidemic in New York and how they'll just suddenly um, – well, around the world, but anyway – um, how they'll suddenly just be sick and then just die. Like, they're just gone. So um, she goes to school, and she meets someone, a girl named Kit, and Kit tells her that this hot guy named Al B.G. likes her. Number one, his name is Al B.G. Can't be that hot, but whatever. Um, and whenever go, she goes... Go easy on my guy, Al B.G. <laughs> well, we know he's a dick, because later on, when she goes to talk to him, he makes fun of Tuck for having two moms. Um, and Tuck decides that she must have a dad and she decides that she is going to go search for him. And when her, we've got a reverse broken flowers going on. Yeah. So when her moms are at not, not at the apartment, she goes, snoops around and in their closet and finds an old baby book in a shoebox. And she's going through it. And there's an entry that says that she was, Tuck was conceived in San Francisco. And so she steals her one of her mom's emergency money goes to JFK and gets a plane ticket. She's doing like uh, that Jessica shit from Sleepless in Seattle. That little girl. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Later. Was it Gabby? Is Gabby Hoffman? Gabby Hoffman. Yeah. Yeah. Was she like just? I don't know. Like I don't know any twelve-year-old this smart even now. I mean that uh, uh, Kevin McAllister. He mm. can pull some pull some things off about that age. That's true. He could do shop for his own groceries. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he could make microwave uh, mac and cheese. So in this... Large cheese pizza just for me. <laughs> in this baby book, it said that she was conceived at a hotel in San Francisco called the Pink Gingerbread Hotel. So as soon as she lands in San Francisco, she gets a cab and goes straight there. And the rooms are all themed. And she gets a John and Yoko themed room. Number one. She is 12 or 13. Why is no one questioning her age? I thought you had to be like 21 to get a hotel room. Not in the 90s. I don't know. <laughs> I guess not. I guess not when the hotel proprietor is named Mellow Moon. Oh, I guess. absolutely. Yeah, and not when, when Mellow Moon has like 90 years of uh, old, uh, like the guest books. Just yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she has all these guest books that she has saved. Um so she takes the John and Yoko themed room because she imagines that's what her mom and dad would have done. 
And at breakfast the next day, she finds all these old guest books that Josh was talking about and asks if there are any older ones from 1981, which was the year she would have been conceived. And that's where she finds an entry for Anastasia, who is one of her moms, and someone named Irving Rose. And Mellow Moon talks to her and basically tells her that she was conceived in the John and Yoko room. And Mello actually remembers her dad and how he had beautiful red hair, which is strange because so does her mom, Izzy, anyway, um, and was so kind and always thought that he would make a great father. And Tuck manages to get his address and leaves the hotel for L.A. So she is just going everywhere. So. And she always has like dumb excuses for why she's uh, by herself. Well, I think she's actually just saying, I'm looking for my dad. <laughs> <laughs> but, she, well, she says, like, I'm going to stay with my grandparents at one point. Yeah, yeah, I think she does say that. So when she gets to L.A., she takes a, a bus to the address and gets to, like, these old um, apartments. And there she meets a man named Uncle Hansel, who is the landlord of the apartments. And she asks if he knew Irving Rose. And um, Do you remember because... someone that you rented a room to uh, 12 <laughs> years ago? Look, this was back when landlords cared about their residents and knew them all. Um, and also, I mean, who knows? Maybe these apartments are rent controlled and people stayed there forever. We know nothing about the situation. Okay. So um, Uncle Hansel does remember Irving and says that he liked to dress up as dress up and like kind of perform and do artsy things. And one time he dressed up as a cuckoo clock, which is great because Uncle Hansel loves cuckoo clocks. They're hanging up all over his walls. Um, and, um, Irving lived with his best friend, Anna, and lo and behold, he has a fording address for Irving's parents in Sherman Oaks, and he drives Tuck to Sherman Oaks. At the house in Sherman Oaks, Tuck is greeted by an old redheaded woman and introduces herself as her granddaughter to this woman, and she's excited to see Tuck, says they haven't heard from their son in years, that they they receive cards from him on major holidays, but never a return address. And Tuck says, hey, I'm trying to find him too. Isn't that weird? <laughs> um, so she actually stays the night in Irving's old room, which is left just as he left it. And she is homesick and knows that her parents are worried about her and has reached a dead end and decides to go back home. And her grandparents take her to the airport and tell her, if you ever see your father, tell him to call us and tell him that whatever lifestyle he has chosen for himself, we will always love him. And then her grandmother gives her a going away present um, and tells her that it's the only photo they have of Irving. And it was taken when he was 16 because Irving did not like having his picture taken. And Tuck waits to open it on the plane. And when she looks at it, it's a picture of Izzy. Izzy is Irving. So when she gets back home, she sees that Izzy and Anastasia are distraught and Izzy tells her story to Tuck and was like, you know, I tried to tell you before you went on this journey, but you wouldn't listen, but whatever. Um, and Izzy says that she always knew she was a girl. She got the name Izzy from the kids taunts on the playgrounds when they would say, is he or isn't he? And even though um, Izzy felt like a girl, uh, she didn't like boys um, she had kind of a crush on Anne, but never really was brave enough to speak to her until their senior year um, when the girl that Anne is always hanging out with moves and Anna kind of becomes sad and changes. And that's when he feels uh, brave enough to approach Anne and invites her to pizza. And on their date, Anne tells Irving that she is gay 
and that when her girlfriend's parents found out, she they moved her away, and her parents forbid any kind of communication between the two of them. And Irving tells Anne that he wants to be a woman and is in love with her. And so the next time they meet, Izzy is driving and introduces themselves as Izzy and asks Anne her name. And Anne decides that if she can be anyone, she is now Anastasia. So over the years, they're best friends, but they don't have sex until they decide to conceive Tuck. And after Tuck, Izzy has her operation and has always been afraid to tell her parents. And then they create a new last name for all of them to use based on Rose, Irving Rose, um, and that is Bud. And then um, the grandparents and Izzy are reconciled and accepting. And I just think that's a sweet story, too. So sue me, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) It's a story of acceptance and love and self-discovery, and I like it. It's hard. We can't. We can't make fun of uh, th- this book quite like we can on most of the stuff we do. I know that, that's what, that was my complete rea- reaction to reading it. Is my... I was like, what do I say about any of this? This is like having a book club. <laughs> it's not what this podcast was supposed to be. <laughs> I don't know. We got some zingers in on Girl Goddess Number Nine, right? <laughs> we need. Um... Uh, we need to uh, have like a fish. Uh, what, I, I, I'm trying to describe an R.L. Stein plot, and I can't even do that anymore. <laughs> so, uh, I was trying we... to say a fish evolves like during the night and like attacks will attack someone. I don't know. It's called Stay Out of the Fish Tank. Are you talking like yeah. a Goosebumps era Stein? I I'm don't sorry. Know. I was yeah. thinking yeah. about Fear Street. Sorry, I was thinking more the teen oriented, not the young kid. Um, has has R.L. Stein? Like in on Fear Street, has there ever been like a natural disaster on Fear Street? Gosh, I don't know. Like tornado on Fear Street. I don't think so. That's, that seems hurricane. too realistic. Well, I don't think there would be a hurricane because it's set in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't know that. Tornado is a possibility, right? Uh, well, can I get an earthquake to just like ripping Fear Street apart? maybe but then how would fear street be put back together for the next book i I mean magic it's fear street that's true nightmarish hellish magic um maybe this was a horrible decision to pick (laughs) this book i mean you got to do one that you like here's the thing i really wanted to do something that i thought was really well written and actually um voiced uh concerns and ideas that I thought seemed realistic from teenagers. Yeah. Um, or, so when I read this, I was like, yeah, this is just like a book. I, you know what I mean? Like this is a, this is a book I would read, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's good. <laughs> right. No, that's the problem. <laughs> they can't all be terrible. You know? I mean, we don't necessarily do all terrible stuff, but. Eh. Well, we like Naomi Klein beginners. Love, no, yeah, and that was, yeah. Yeah. I guess it's easier to make fun of that because here's the thing is I don't think this book feels dated. No, they, like, exactly. <laughs> that's that's what I think is the problem. If it was, if it felt dated, and especially because we're awash right now in like '90s nostalgia, so like even like Zoomers know who would get all these pop culture references, you know? Yeah, um, she's not really. I mean, in in some places she's super, like in the zine, she's super specific with references, but in a lot of the other stories, it's just it, it nothing is so. It grounds it in the era, but I don't think you need to know what something is. Yeah, definitely not. And I don't think that it's it's aged poorly either. Like I don't think that the if only you read it 
you would say what is romper stomper, <laughs> but but Maybe. most people would say that anyway. <laughs> I said that. I just I just don't think that it's something that has aged poorly or that reads as inappropriate now. I oh, guess. not at all. Like, like she deals with like all the subjects that she is tackling very well and with a lot of sympathy. Um, and I wish that. Uh, in real life, it was like that. I think there is like obviously this fairy tale element to it, where like parents are accepting of like their kids' sexualities, because that's not always the case. But I mean, it does touch on like I mean, but there is like a story too in there. I think it's called um, is it Winnie and Cubby? Where uh, yes, Winnie and Cubby are a couple, and they go on the weekend trip to San Francisco, and that's when. Uh, Cubby talks about like his abusive father, who I think is more uh, maybe verbally abusive and emotionally abusive, not like physically abusive. But um, but Cubby comes out to her as gay, which devastates Winnie. And Winnie even has like that, like realistic thought, like, you know, we'll never be close again. It won't be the same. And he's like, of course it will. It'll just be a little bit different. Um, So I feel like. I don't know, because she at first doesn't want to accept it, I think. I think it's not that she isn't accepting of, like, him being gay and coming out to her. I think she just doesn't want to accept it because of how her life will change now, um, which I think is a very realistic, selfish, teenagery thing to think whenever you might hear that the first time that someone you're in love with and thought you knew is, is maybe someone that you can't be with, I guess. So she does tackle things that are just hard, but I think she does it very... Um, if if, if a... 90s writers of Saved by the Bell had handled each one of these issues, they would have, <laughs> <laughs> or most popular stuff from the same era, would have done it in a uh, embarrassing way, I think. Yeah, and I don't think this is at all. Um, even there's a book that tackles like uh, like grief after a young girl's mother commits suicide. Um, and that's where, like, I think that's the most fantastical story in this, right? Because it's about, like, this this young girl who, after her mother dies, develops a friendship with a creature that may or may not be real, um, who's kind of like an elfish blue. Blue, yeah. Yeah, creature. And the story's called Blue. Um, but, like, it's a creature that, like, comforts her during this very hard time that she's experiencing after the death of her mother and the grief of her father and how... It, it kind of um, gets her through that period. Um, and even she is made fun of all the time at school. Like it even helps her with like school bullying and stuff. So um, I just thought there maybe be a lot to talk about, but then I didn't realize, oh yeah, this will be really hard to talk about <laughs> <laughs> because and, of the actual content. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it, it's just, yeah, she's right. You know what I mean? Like the, uh, I don't know. Did you not like, because you gave it three stars on Goodreads. That so, is correct. Yeah, whatever. Um, what did you think of the story rave about the young girl groupie? I don't remember very well. That's another one of my favorites. And it always, that one also stuck with me for some reason. I'm not sure why, but that's another fucking sad book because, or sad story because you find out later, um, well, it's a it's a young boy and girl in high school, and the boy is um, he was in like a child rock group and was semi famous. 
right? Like a, I don't want to say Hanson, but he describes it as the group was called the Lamb Family. And he said that it's like one I was of those only- Branson families. <laughs> maybe, maybe they had a theater like, yeah. in the LA. <laughs> um, but he said, uh, I was only eight, but I sang love songs written for a man. I hated it, but my mom wouldn't let me quit. I made her a fortune and she spent the whole fucking thing by the time I was 13. Damn. Yeah. Um, and this girl who's kind of like a this classic mysterious- 90s story, by the way, of a family. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, Relatable. that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, so, the Olsons are the only ones that seem to have made it out. <laughs> they made it out, but they also... Isn't one of them married to, like, uh, the president of France's brother? Are they still married? Oh, I have no clue. A Sarkozy, right? The, the, those two, the twins seem to have disappeared from I public think they, eye. They used I, to do fashion. I wish that all people that rich would disappear from society. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, just... Go away. like Elon Musk. Get right. lost. Just enjoy gotta, your money, he's man. He's gotta stop tweeting. Yeah, exactly. He's or, just, or or the Olsons need to get on there and just become crazy too. Yeah, I'd follow. <laughs> <laughs> were you one of those people who were counting down the days so they were legal? Man, that should have been uh, that should have been an FBI sting, and everyone doing that. Right. Or, or, right. Like every radio DJ who had it was the, every radio DJ. Yeah, it they should have the just worst. arrested them. I wasn't. Lex, I don't, Terry, come with us. Are, do they still have a thing? Are Lex I, and Terry still a thing? I have no clue. <laughs> there used to be like a Lex and Terry billboard outside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are okay. a couple around town. Okay, so yeah, they're still a thing. God, I can't believe people still listen to morning radio. I don't have to commute, so I'm one of those assholes who's like, I just roll out does, of bed. Does anyone under 45 still listen to that? I don't think so. I think it's I think a most- very specific yeah. kind of guy too it's All right. and it's definitely going to be dead when boomers and older gen xers die out like, yeah because you could just right. listen to barstool sports as podcast <laughs> yeah yeah just i mean that's what i say like every like when i used to have to commute to work i'd listen to podcasts as i drove like you did that was my podcast you time. didn't listen to opie and anthony no i didn't listen to opie and anthony um, <laughs> jessica's listening yeah. to man cow on the way to work <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine like I'm listening to Come Town. It's, it's, it's Joe Rogan. That stuff is Joe Rogan, but like lower brow right. and less funny. Oh God! Somehow even worse because it's all in such a specific style that's annoying. Yeah, the cackling right into the microphone style that yeah. makes me lose my mind. Yeah, <laughs> hate it. I do remember when I was a kid, I would listen to Channel Z in the morning. But they didn't really have like a real like. What's Channel Z? What was that? It was the local alt rock station. Baby. Yeah, but they wouldn't like. They didn't. They had like local DJs. They didn't have like a a syndicated thing that they would play in the morning. And I listened to it mainly because on Thursday mornings they would do movie reviews <laughs> with um, Doctor David Daly, who became my film professor in college oh, when I was briefly a film the major. The only person who knows about film in the uh, Springfield area. He passed away. Dr. Daly. Well, yeah, at the time, I mean. Yeah, he died. So he was the MSU professor and one of our managers at the theater. Like, he, the 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 professor guy came in to watch early showing sometimes. And one mm-hmm. of our uh, managers, like, took his class. So he was kind of acting like they were like buddies. And so, uh, the day he died, um, 
Adam went up to him and was like, hey, I'm really sorry about your your friend. I heard about that or something like that. And this manager, Chris, <laughs> said, oh, God. said, all I know is there's an opening for a film reviewer. <laughs> Oh, oh God! What? He's such a ghoul, that guy. I'm calling him, calling him out right here on the podcast. Say his last name. Just do Fuck it. Fuck him. Is he a cop now? No, no. We have a. Oh, okay. That's a different guy that worked don't, at the theater. Don't talk about him. We'll get arrested. <laughs> he did. No, Sorry. well, no. The, yeah. Okay. This is one hell of a segue. I'm out of uh, his jurisdiction. He, you know, he's got buddies in that's true neighboring towns. Hot buddies, <laughs> and I don't think they respect uh, boundaries anyway. They'll drag Absolutely me right not. back to Nixon. Oh yeah, they'll extradite you. Don't don't say that. I'm going to bleep out the name okay. of my hometown. Don't look it up. Yep. Okay. Segue over. So Rave um, is this girl is kind of mysterious that goes to high school with the narrator, and she's dropped off at school every morning by a limo. That's what we're told. Mm. Um, and she recognizes our narrator from the Lamb family and confesses that she used to have a crush on him when she was a kid. And so they bond because they're both freaks. Um, she was a freak because she was a super groupie who went to concerts and hung out and slept with rock stars who bought her clothes and sent her home in limos. I was because I used to be this little singer and now no one remembers. And if they did, they'd say, oh, what happened to him? He used to be so cute. And what it did to me was it made me feel like not a kid either. Neither of us ever felt like kids. Isn't that sad? That's so sad. What kind of little kid boy singer is there? Because this does sound more like it, like a because the family, like it sounds more like a Christian thing or a Branson type. It does. I was thinking like Partridge Family, but but if it's just David one Cassidy. boy singing, well, Justin said it, Bieber. Well, I was thinking oh, about yeah. that. How old are we talking? I, see, I was thinking like seven or eight, like even eight. younger than the yodeling. How about kid. Jackson Five? That's what that's that's yeah, long but, ago, but yeah, it could have been something like that. But I was thinking, well, Parch Family is long ago too, but wasn't there a younger one? Because David Cassidy was older, and he was like the main lead singer of the Parch yeah, Dan- Family. Yeah, Danny Bonaducci. Yeah, how old do you think Danny Bonaducci was? Uh, <laughs> Bonaduce. He was just like twelve. He was he was the horny one. That was his. wait. Cassidy wasn't horny. No, he's like the respectable older boy. Yeah. What? So the twelve-year-old was the horn dog? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Guys, can I say something? I've never, never watched an episode of Partridge Family. Uh, I used to watch. I it did Nick when at I night. was on. Yeah, Nick at Night for sure. You know what I watched on Nick at Night? Get smart like a cool person. Let's just let's just uh, cut this podcast and instead <laughs> review an episode of Partridge Family. <laughs> <laughs> let's just talk about memories of Nick at Night. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, let's talk about F Troop. Let's like cancel F Troop right what now. What crap were you watching? I was watching back to back I Dream of Genie and Bewitched. You know what but I always say is when people are like, make Mr. Ed references and they're like, you wouldn't know what that is. You're a millennial. And I'm like, bitch, I grew up on Nick at Night. You think I don't know Mr. Ed? We didn't watch yeah. I Dream of Genie Sorry, or Bewitched is because, of the, because oh. of the magic I like and it. 30, stuff. 30, 40 years later, it's still too taboo <laughs> yeah. for the Arnett household. <laughs> Like, no, not ready for that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Rave does it with rock stars and our narrator is like in love with her and wants her to quit and wants her to see that she gives them their power because she thinks that she gets her beauty from like sleeping with all of them. But he's like, no, it's the other way around. They are vampires and leeching off of you. Anyway, um... They have, they have like one kind of special day together on her birthday 
Um, and then they kind of grow apart after that. And uh, now he's in his 20s and he's reflecting because his current girlfriend needs ideas for a book of short stories about teenagers. And so he tells her about Rave and later he runs into an old ex-girlfriend from high school and he tells the narrator that Rave OD'd on heroin when she was 17 and died. Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Just another fun little slice of, slice of life story for you. But I mean, we're in the middle. I mean, we are all familiar with the, um, you know, opiate epidemic in the States here. It happens. Oof. <sighs> so anyway, um, yeah, I think I'm kind of done talking about this. <laughs> it made me really sad suddenly. Stuff. I was reading it and I was, okay, I'm just going to confess. I like being sad sometimes. And as I was reading this book, it was just like the perfect time um, when I was rereading it recently. It was just like the perfect time uh, for me to read it because I was just really wallowing and being sad um, for whatever reason. And I was like, I love this book so much. And I still do. Like, I'm not going to say that I don't love it. It's just, it is hard to talk about. Oh, you mean back then, it, it, was it you were wallowing in sadness, not necessarily now? No, now too. Okay. Let's oh, face it. Like during the, <laughs> the pandemic, I have found comfort and like the, I feel like my brain and my emotional maturity has regressed back to that of like being in high school or junior high. And that's probably because of like all the weird solitudiness because i was kind of like mm -hmm. just always alone in my room but also uh just because when i was a teenager i was also very scared and anxious and depressed and uncertain most of the time and i feel like i was just catapulted back to that emotionally where now i'm i've always had like high anxiety and, and struggles with depression but now it's just like constant and i feel like rereading this book brought me some comfort i guess to let me wallow in that a little bit so you would say right. that you're getting comfort from, I don't know, watching Double Dare? Uh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you have a problem a, with uh, that? What the hell is going on over there? Why are you watching Double Dare? Because it's free on Paramount. No, nostalgia vibes, baby. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you get drunk and you're like, let's fucking watch some double dare and so you do and you know what else we watched we watched rugrats and it was great and i'm not gonna apologize for it this this is coming from the guy who watches the mighty ducks every other night yeah judge me you bitch wait what when the when's the last time i've seen the mighty ducks recently right you're always talking about it you watch <laughs> something you watch dumb things all the time come on <laughs> the mighty ducks i thought you were a big MD head. No, maybe, maybe cool you were runnings. doing it as you said yeah. you did it as a joke. He okay. loves cool runnings. Oh, I had a running bit mm. where with mm -hmm. a girlfriend where I turned on I think Mighty Ducks two every time she came <laughs> over, oh, yeah. and then quickly turned it off and acted like I wasn't watching it. You just happened to have it on. It's it was called just gaslighting. A, just okay. <laughs> and it's how you get women. It's bad either way. Guys, this episode is a mess, and I blame the meat and also my emotional state during a pandemic. That Mighty Ducks bit is so good. <laughs> that is really good, Josh. Like, I want I want to date someone just to do a bit on them. I'm sorry, Blake. Does you, that... She does a bit on me every day. You can start day. doing bite, yeah, bits on him. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what she a does, bit I could... Does... What's my bit? Short Sheet is Bed, the classics. <laughs> Uh, sh she literally does. What bits do I do? I can't say any of them without being canceled. No, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that's not true at all. 
I'll be canceled from my own podcast. <laughs> I will say this book rules and everyone can suck it. Just read we, this book. Do we do you already said what your ratings were or Yeah, so I I gave it 3. It's a good book. It's fine. Uh others will disagree. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's good. I'm giving it four hooves and the unicorn horn. The coveted unicorn. Unicorn a... seal of approval from me. I think it's a beautiful, lovely book. And as Josh and I pointed out, it did not at all like age poorly, despite all the uh, issues that she tackled in the book. It aged um, better than uh, all the Brady Snell's books of the same era. Ooh, I will say those do not hard age. agree. And these kids still do quaaludes and stuff, too, sometimes, just like <laughs> yeah. Brett Easton Ellis characters. But they aren't assholes. So did. OK, we also have other people that reviewed it. Did you want me to? Br- yeah. So on Goodreads, out? it has an average of like three point nine six. And I think there were thirty five hundred reviews. Um, I want to read. Can can I show you what to read and you can read it in your voice? Uh, in my voice. Okay, OK, hold on. I'm going to read some of the uh, five star reviews real quick. Leia rated it five stars. Iconic. <laughs> Sorry. Nice. My favorite review is by Dan. He gave it three stars and said different stories. <laughs> what does that even mean? It. it I, I mean, it's literally true. I mean, it's yeah. it's true. Tell Dan where's Lias. <laughs> um, five star review by Sarah said, "Not sure what made me think of this, but twenty years ago, me gave me." Okay, let me try to reread that. This is a strangely constructed <laughs> sentence. Not sure what made me think of this, but 20 years ago, me gave this five stars absolutely. <laughs> Just a bad, I think she written. meant the me of 20 years ago gives this five yeah. stars. Okay. Yeah. Um, Melina said, five stars. It's actually revolutionary and made me sad that I'm not a little kid anymore. Yes. Hmm. Patim or Patim, I don't know how to say it, said three stars. Some of these short stories were terrific. Some I just skimmed over. Not my cup of tea, but apparently others love it. And then Amanda also gave it three stars, and she said, and this is something that Joshua struggled with. She said, everything by Francesca Leoblock has the sameness to it, a shimmering L.A. teenage dream quality that gets old. The characters are almost indistinguishable in a way that makes them seem autobiographical, same taste in music, clothes, all vegetarian, etc. I give this one a solid meh. You know what? I've, you mentioned informers earlier. I feel mm-hmm. that that exactly describes those stories. Everyone blends together, and a lot of the... I feel like Ellis that's novels. a lot of his books. Yeah, yeah. With the exception of Patrick Bateman. Like, yes. right. all of, He's the only one that stands out because he murders all of, people. <laughs> all of the teens are the same. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. I mean, I guess He's the just... character Brett Easton Ellis in Lunar Park stands out a little bit, but... Yeah, because he's, you know, yeah. writing lovingly about himself. Right, exactly. What a guy. <laughs> what was Patrick Bateman's little brother? Sean Bateman? Is that right? Yeah. He was in Rules of Attraction. James Vanderbeek. James right, Vanderbeek, right. yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just, I read an article about Francesca Leoblock and 90s Nostalgia by Frankie Thomas. Um, this was in the Paris Review. And she just, um, she talks about, like, the issues with some of, her writing um there's this fetishization of anorexia which you don't really see here in these short stories just kind of bland boys boyfriends the use of queerness um and she says um that 
as a young girl, she had a crush on the world, and that's Block's aesthetic, really, a heart-doodling teen girl crush on the world. It was a craving that Block's books awakened and agitated, but never quite sated. Like candy, they were gratifying in the moment, but always left me wanting. And she talks about how the cult of Block is not regenerating. She remains widely beloved, analyzed, and interviewed, but mostly by her original generation of fans now grown, still keeping the faith. It pains me to see Block's work reduced to a 90s fetish object. The rose-scented nostalgia treatment can be as demeaning in its own way, a vicious takedown, and Block deserves neither. Like anything associated with teenage girls, she ought to be taken more seriously. She was an important author. Um, yeah, I will admit that I've never read the Wheatsy Bat book, so now I feel like a Francesca Lea Block poser. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the reason was because uh, maybe shortly after this, I was reading, I was like obsessed with Brett Easton Nelson and read all of his books, and then I was just like, I don't read teen fiction anymore. It's all for babies. Um, and at the time, too, I mean, the mainstream teen fiction was like Fear Street and shit like it that. It was for babies mostly, yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't like I was wrong. <laughs> I'm going to say that. Um, so I always thought of myself as way cool carrying around like my Brett Easton Ellis. But you know what? I should have just carried around this book with pride because it's a damn good book. And that's all I'm going to say. And mead is a hell of a drink. I give this mead five hooves. <laughs> <laughs> and a tail. Josh, do you have any final thoughts? No, uh, about this book, no. <laughs> okay, nope, so this book was really hard for everyone to talk about, so hopefully our next book won't be. But before we talk about that, I do want to give a thank you to the Beaumont Library District and their teen librarian who loves our podcast and did a nice little post about us today on Instagram. So thanks to them. Um, thank you. Where's that again? California. California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So thank you. And uh, friend us on Instagram and uh, give us a DM. We're always looking for good books to do and and guests to have on. Yeah. So maybe you have a suggestion or want to come on and talk about um, a Judy Bloom book or something with us. That'd be good. Um, Is Josh, that super fudge? The, the Judy Bloom book we're going to do. She, wait, she is. You know, I watched a movie and Judy Bloom was in it the other day. Or there was a character, a Judy Bloom character. A Judy Bloom character. Yeah, the the mean? movie. It's the thing about Salinger. My Salinger years. The name of it. It's the feet girl from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, okay. I, anyway, Mar- Margot Robbie. No, uh, no, no, no. Uh, Quali, Quali, whatever. Her feet. Yeah. She I guess there's a lot of feet, feet girls. There yeah, are a lot, but she was the one. She's the, the Manson one. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. Not okay. Lena Dunham. Anyway. Uh, anyway, uh, she works for Salinger's agent, and Judy Bloom comes into the office because she's oh. trying to. Uh, I think she, it's Summer Sisters is the one she, that that she would be writing, but she they uh, don't publish her. The Summer adult Sisters one. is an adult book. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. A book about fudge. This will never sell. Get, get out I of mean, basically, my office, the Ms. the agent Bloom. characters like I don't understand children's books. <laughs> So there's no money in it. Goodbye. Yeah. And speaking of Judy Bloom, I've heard that there's there's an adaptation of Are You There God It's Me Margaret that is coming out pretty soon. That's in oh, yeah. uh, pre-production. I so. smell a watch along. Josh has been wanting to save that for our 100th episode, but I feel like buddy, we about to just make it our Let's 50th in case we, we never on, get to that 100. We're on 38 right <laughs> oh now. My God. Uh, 100 is looking yikes. We've been doing this for what? Almost 2 years? 100 is like a million 
episodes away. Is this really only number 38? Yeah. How is that possible? I feel like we've done millions of these. Uh, I think there's some lost know. episodes in there that we <laughs> had to throw out. You know what I was thinking tonight while I was making dinner? You know what would be a fun Patreon? This is totally just off key because I have mead brain right now. But I was thinking, let's talk about the late 90s or early aughts horror film, Urban Legend, starring Jared Leto and it's Alicia Wood. <sighs> let's do it, buddy. Like <laughs> on movie. our Patreon. On our Patreon. So make people pay to play. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, speaking of that, uh-huh. we have a Patreon. Go check it out. Solid sell yeah. as always. Yeah. You know? Look, we're not rich. Look, we're not rich kids. We don't have patreon.com. There's a cat ox. behind them in that room begging for food. The, <laughs> that cat you hear is begging to Oscar. because if you don't go to Patreon, he don't eat people. <laughs> That's not true. I feed my cat. It's the A-U-X- Mad Magazine cover that's got a gun to that cat's head. Right. No. <laughs> ox audio, patreon.com slash AUX audio. That's right. Um, Josh, what is our next book supposed to be? Let's see if we actually do it. Oh, I'll do it. Uh, it's called Moxie. I don't know who writes it because I didn't go to the library to pick up my copy of it today. Uh, well, it is a major motion picture on Netflix now, directed by Amy Poehler. What? Can I just watch the movie? Yes. And yeah, I no, expect yeah, Blake, they, we expect you Blake, to read the book. <laughs> we, we want you to watch the movie and write a Coldplay parody, please. I'll try. Okay. So Moxie is written by Jennifer Matthew. I think that's how you say it. And I believe it's about a zine. Am I right, Josh? Yeah, it's keeping our zine theme going. Mm-hmm. It's zine. It's, it's got really cool cover art. Zine month here. at Yeah, uh, the zine to overtake an international women, I guess. <laughs> Look at this zine. It's about girls. Yeah, it is. And it's written by a woman. And maybe it's good. I don't know. I haven't read it yet. And it's our first contemporary book, right? Have Ooh. we ever done a contemporary novel? Um, the Babysitter's talk- Club. <laughs> well, I mean, we talked about the TV show, but. No, yeah. Uh, we. I don't think so. I think other than this is probably the most recent book we've done. Mm-hmm. I think. We should go back and do the Babysitter's Club episodes that we didn't do or did we do this? No, we just did episodes one through four, and we totally neglected episodes we gotta go five back. through ten. Yeah, we'll get season two. <laughs> we got to go back. Ooh, when's that dropping? It's been a while. I, uh, yeah, Probably I don't know. summer. That dropped on July 4th, so I'm guessing it'll be July 4th By July 4th, 4th, again. 4th we're going to be Or partying. July 3rd. We're going to be <laughs> yeah, barbecuing. Yeah. Guys, July uh, 4th, do you think we'll be at Draft House like we were that one July 4th? where It we saw will like, be open. Folks, we'll be at brunch. Yeah, <laughs> people are already brunching, Blake. People been brunching. People been. We will brunching. be celebrating our country, July four. Yeah. So, guys, you know what? Please give us a a rating on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance. Give us a rating and review us. You can follow us on Instagram. We are Are You There Pod on Twitter. We're at Jimmy Goosebumps. Shout out to Josh for that funny joke. And also, <laughs> whoever owns at Are You There Pod, give it to me. Gosh, how many how many people uh, do they have? Like followers? Yeah. Well, it hasn't been active in a couple of years. Okay. Yeah. I I don't think they have very many followers, but neither do we. So follow us on Twitter. Gosh, and uh, if you have, if you want to correct me on anything, or send me suggestions, or send us hate or love mail, you can email us at Are You There Podcast at gmail dot com. 
On the Patreon, you can download the full version of my theme music as well as my Coldplay parodies mm-hmm. as heard on the show. And soon to come, Jessica and Joshua's uh, live commentary uh, watch along of uh, Urban Legend. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Wait, are we going to do like a episode about it or are we just going to do a, a watch along? We can do either thing? one. Watch along sounds fun. Yeah, it does sound fun. But would we have to be in the same room for that? So it would all be timed correctly? No. Well, it might be easier. Not necessarily. Okay, just saying. Someday soon, guys. We'll all be recording again in the same room, and it will be so good. I'm just kind of used to this now. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) this is pretty easy. I mean, I I hate it, but... I miss our Sundays though when we would do like two episodes at once. That's yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. That was sufficient though. It was efficient and also They were shorter. My favorite one was whenever we got drunk for Josh's birthday and came back and recorded Sweet Valley High and Babysitters Club, which are like oh Those God. are good books. Those are good books and they were good episodes. So if you never listen to those, go that back and, and download those. Two for of all time. Yeah, it's really true. Let's just do that every weekend. So Okay, that's it. All right. So until next time, see you later, later, horse girls.